1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the TV Podcast Network. My name is Alan Jackson. Across from me in our illustrious table here is Mr. Chris Fry, uh, my co-director, co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. How goes it, Chris?
2: It goes well. I actually made time in my life for three different movies, watching three different movies this weekend. So that's... That's that's a good good run. There. Three
1: movies in a seventy-two hour ish period. <laughs> two of
2: which we're reviewing on this show. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 good. Life's
1: good. Okay, that's that's a good that's a good weekend in my books. Yes. as far as I'm concerned, I feel like we haven't done this in a while, but I, we have. It's been like our two week schedule, right? Uh, we,
2: I think we were, I think we're maybe off a week. I think we, bumped no. bumped See, a it week.
1: feels like it. I can feel it. I can feel <laughs> like feel a little, off. there's a little more built up like right. to talk about. Um, sure. We never got around to talk, talking about the Academy Awards and the True. outcomes of that. I know it seems like that was an eternity ago, but we are going to recap that later in the episode. But as Chris mentioned, uh, during his little, uh, personal commentary there, he did watch two films. Those two films were ones we're going to review on today's show. First up, we'll be reviewing the latest film. Well, I guess it's really the first film by director-writer Jesse Eisenberg. He yes. knows an actor, but he has written and directed a film that we'll be discussing. It is called When You Finish Saving the World. That also stars uh, Julianne Moore and Finn Wolfhard. Followed by, we're going to be reviewing the film Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. This one's starring Mike Faist and is directed by, oh gosh, The Braggs. Austin and Meredith Bragg um, will be, uh, and they also wrote the film as well. So we'll be discussing those two films as well as we'll get into some movie news, mainly in the world of the Academy Awards. We will be kind of giving our little post take on the Academy Awards from this year's ceremony. Since we did a nice episode where we kind of gave our predictions, now we can kind of follow suit and see how did we do and were there any main surprises or uh, outcomes we didn't expect. Then we'll follow it up with our recommendations. This is where Chris and I both bring a film to the table that we want to recommend to you as one that you can check out online or watch at your own leisure. Chris, I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. Mine may be a negative recommendation. I don't like to throw those out often, but I have done them from time to time. Okay. And what that basically means, Chris, is that I have not seen a film outside of the ones we're going to review that I want to talk about so or recommend, but I have seen a film that I'd like to actively dissuade people from maybe <laughs> spending their harder money to check out. So, Fair enough. Okay. So that's what's gone to, uh, on tap for today's show. Chris, are you ready to jump right into our first review? Let's do it. Okay. The first review is Jesse Eisenberg's when you finish saving the world.
2: Hey, mom, can you drive me today? Are you ready to go now? Yeah. Just give me like five seconds.
0: By that logic, we should just occupy every country. Yo,
1: I agree with you, Lila. Thank you. Ziggy. How do you agree with Lila?
2: Excuse my brain for knowing what not to say.
1: I know it'll get better with age. When You Finish Saving the World is writer-director Jesse Eisenberg, who we all know is an actor who's performed in many, many roles, pretty recognizable actor, Getting his hand behind the wheel of the the uh, in the director's chair here for this film, Chris. A lot of people probably came to know Jesse Eisenberg from one of his earliest films, which was uh, Noah Baumbach's *The Squid and the Whale*. Yes. Now, as I bring up the film *The Squid and the Whale*, which has to do with a kind of a uh, academic family that's. Uh, maybe a little out of touch with reality just because of the lofty grandeur grandeur they they uh, surround themselves in mm-hmm. it's both dramatic but it's humorous in the way the this family is so uh, what's the word I'm looking for with this how do you how would you describe that family they're um uh,
2: well they they are privileged
1: privileged that's a good way of putting it
2: um and they um are very, very well educated.
1: Yep. That's another way of putting it. Okay.
2: And um, you see where
1: I'm going with all this, right? Okay, good. I just want to make sure we're understanding that what I'm doing is basically trying to tie a connection between the role that Jesse Eisenberg became, I think a little more known for in one of his first like big critically acclaimed films and now his first directorial debut film, which there are more than a handful of similarities to. Okay. So in the film here, when you finish saving the world, uh, the story is about Evelyn, who's played by uh, uh, Julianne Moore, and her oblivious son, Ziggy, played by w- Finn Wolfhard, as they seek out replacements for each other as Evelyn desperately tries to parent an unassuming teenager at her shelter, Ziggy fumbling through the pursuit of a brilliant young woman at school. So, this idea of two people, two individuals, father and or, I'm sorry, mother and son, mm-hmm. actively trying to court relationships with other people. Um, to feel what they may feel like is avoid their, their experience in themselves or maybe what they're overlooking in their own life. And you see the trailer. I think we actually showed the trailer for this during one of our trailer tapas. I, I believe we did. And obviously, like a lot of these independent drama comedy films, they try to play up the comedy a little bit more in this film. Well, right. Chris, I've done a lot of setup on this film here. <laughs> I threw a lot of opportunities for you to go with on your review. I want to hear what you thought of when you finish Saving the World. What messages do you have for Mr. Eisenberg (laughs) as notes for maybe a second film uh, down the road? Well, you know, I think it's a
2: good directorial debut. Is it a perfect film? No. Um, We'll get to that. But I do feel like for a director to make a film, I had not thought of, which I think is a good thing, I had not thought of The Squid and the Whale while I was watching this film. Um, If I had... I probably would have been bothered a lot more than I was. Um, Not to say I didn't find things that, you know, little things I can nitpick or not nitpick, but just, you know, things I can ding the movie for, just talk about things I didn't necessarily appreciate. Um, I will say, doing a little research into the film after, after I watched it, I learned that basically Eisenberg, you mentioned, you know, he wrote it and he directed it, he had first gotten this idea where he basically did like an audiobook for Audible and it was an original work where he kind of told this tale and I could see and then he adapted it and wrote it for the screen. I can see how um this film which is only 128 minutes I can see how it's an audiobook where you get these conversations then you get some narration about I I can see how it probably might have worked a little better because overall the film I felt like was a little was a little thin. There were things there that they, there are things like uh, social media commentary or internet fame. Okay, Uh, coming of age, high school struggles. Okay, Um, you know, well-intentioned parents that are engrossed in their own jobs while overlooking their families. Okay, these are all familiar tropes. You talked about Squid and the Whale. That family. Uh, is a lot more dysfunctional than mm-hmm. this family. There's a divorce going on. so it, And there's you know, no social media. It's a, but I can see the comparison. It is a coming of age, the son's coming of age with a difficult parent. This time it was the dad as opposed to the mom in this story. But familiar tropes that I feel like overall have been handled better in other films, like Squid and the Whale, which you mentioned. Um, that said, um, I did appreciate Julian Moore, like, I, I liked her in this film. I didn't really like her character, but I liked her portrayals of it. I feel like it's just something she's well accomplished at. She, you know, somebody says, Okay, I need you to play this mother who has all these high ideals and means well, but overall and like sometimes is too preachy to her them, She's like, I got it. Stop talking. Mm-hmm. I can't. <laughs> she's yeah. like, I, I can do this in my sleep. Mm-hmm. So I think I also appreciated seeing Finn Wolfhard doing something besides running away from monsters. Um, this is my first experience, I think, seeing him outside of the Stranger Things universe. Oh, really? So I, th- I think maybe— was in a
1: few films. I can't— and he, did the, he was in the uh, Ghostbusters. Afterlife. Have, you haven't seen that? I have not. And there was another film I saw that he was in. I can't remember what it was now. So I mm-hmm. yeah. I, so this is my first time
2: really seeing him that I can recall outside of the and definitely holding a role this like big. You know, yeah. it's like he's the main character in Julian Moore. Um and I thought I'd, he did a good job with what he was given. But I I think the script needed the script needed more. Yeah. But for a directorial debut, Jesse Eisenberg, mm. I think it was it was okay. So let me let me throw it back to you. Now a, you've got my original reaction. Yeah,
1: I'm right. a notch. I'm a couple notches not down from the okay.
2: Oh, and um, are you? Are you? Is it a couple of notches down from the okay slash fine, or is it fine, which is slightly below? Okay? No,
1: it's not quite <laughs> not quite fine for me. Okay. So I, I I'm okay. I'm, a, I'm below the fine okay. the fine threshold here. Below the three stars. Yeah, I had a, I had a tough time with this one. Okay. I, uh, I I I think I think, but I think you were on the money when you said it's the script. Mm. It's thin. It's super thin. And I feel like this is a, one of those examples of a quote independent film where you've got some interesting characters and you've got some interesting moments, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot else to tie it all together beyond that. So again, I can hearken to this film and say, yeah, there were three or four moments. I genuinely really, really liked three or four scenes, three or four encounters. I really liked, I think the characters are interesting. I liked the characters would not like them as far as like, you know, but I found them gotcha. very engaging, sure. interesting characters to follow. But at the end of the day, I'm just like, I, I don't understand. I, I don't know what I'm getting from this outside of just some interesting character moments and interesting character studies. Um, mainly because, and, and, and again, we'll get without spoiling, but sure. as it builds to the end of the film, and there is an ending to this film that if it were in another film I think it would have worked extremely well for me. Or if the story preceding it mm-hmm. had led us to that point, I, I, I would have found that ending very, very satisfying. I
2: think we're on the same page there, but
1: as it is, this whole film, I'm giving Jesse Eisenberg the shadow of a doubt. The whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, okay, it's a 90 minute running time, right? Or less than 90 minutes. Actually, I'm the like, list. look, I, I, I'm on board. I it's like, he hasn't got me yet, but let's get to, let's get to an ending. That's going to work for this story. And I, I'm kind of holding out hope the whole, the whole time that something's going to propel this to a to mean something or to mm. give me something. And they tack on it they put on an ending that I I I, I don't feel like it was earned at all. I don't understand how you get to that ending. I don't understand what preceding this film it, it made me lead to this ending. To think this ending was where you need to end this film, but I love the ending just not with the rest of the film. Okay. let me
2: defend mm -hmm. the film slash totally agree with everything you just said. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, because I, I, you, yeah. One of my notes here says, um, I need something more in the development of Evelyn and Ziggy characters as the story progressed to get where the film landed Mm -hmm. at the end. Absolutely. Okay. So now let me, there again, we don't want to spoil this for anybody. Not that you could really, I guess you could spoil the exact ending, but Mm -hmm. I'll dance around it and kind of explain some things there are some moments in the film where there are missed connection opportunities for the characters of Evelyn and Ziggy, where they may be mm-hmm. in the same space and not know it like in a high school, like, like in one of those towards the, the end, and uh, Yeah. And so I think there's some instances of that, which had they been maybe scattered, there had been more instances of that yeah. then you would have kind of bought how in the end they kind of, make this connection that had, like, I I think it was like, I mean, it's set up in the premise of the film. There's a mom who's seeking something. She's seeking a connection with a teenager to be a, you know, be a good parent. And she finds it out or she's trying to find it outside the home. There's this teenager that is trying to find himself, but also aspiring to be with this really intelligent, hyper-intelligent woman. Like, well, he's he's,
1: aspiring to be is with someone who's a lot more like his mother then he's willing to admit. Correct. And so I think, yeah, you got those two and you're right. I do think the moment, there's a moment in the high school towards the very end of the film where, yeah, it's, you're starting to see the idea that the mom is just right around the corner dealing with a whole nother situation than what the son is over here dealing with. I liked where that was kind of exploring. It just wasn't enough to lead me to what happens in the next scene, which is them leading to a finale that I, I, yeah, I I think, I think, mm. yeah.
2: And I think, the whole film, you can kind of see the work that is being done with Julianne Moore's character and the young man that she's trying to help. And you can see how that kind of mirrors Ziggy. But sure. with the Ziggy character, Finn Wolf, the son, you can't really see him. Trying to build... Tw- I think you don't see it as a two-way street, maybe. Right. and to, mm-hmm. You need it a little bit more balanced, well, and then you could buy the end, There's one maybe. moment
1: where you know, they kind of touched on it, where he's asking his mother for advice on how to <laughs> true, do true. something, which doesn't go well. And, no. uh, yeah, it's it tries at moments to show the connection there and to kind of build for something that would give the foundation for the ending we received. Mm-hmm. I just... I felt like I'm just kind of spinning my wheels for a little over an hour waiting for something of substance to really take place to make this film work. And we get to an end and an ending that is really beautiful, a nice, beautiful ending that just did not match the rest of the film I just saw and showed me no connective tissue between it to make me feel like that. It felt like it was like, okay, we know we want to have this ending, don't really know how to get there, <laughs> but this is the ending we're going to have right. come hell or high water. This is going to be the ending. Right. And that's how it kind of fell by the end of the film. So, um, you, you mentioned in the setup that, um, the trailer, which we think we'd shown
2: a trailer top, So I have to get the intern to tell us whether or not that's true, but I think you're right on that. I think we did. Um, there were moments of humor that showed parents and children trying to, you know, interact with one another, uh, parent interrupting a child's online activity. And that causes, you know, yeah. frustration or waiting on a child to depart a house. And the child says, I'll be like five seconds. And they're not, um, yeah. to me, very relatable, you know, sure. but could have used more of those instances or maybe just shift and give the film a totally more dramatic tone and just drop the humor out altogether. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like, I think that was like, it was kind of struggling the line between, do we want to be a quirky little comedy with some drama or do we just want to be a straight out drama? And I think maybe because there
1: were so few instances of comedy, maybe they could have just dropped
2: those down. They could altogether. have They could have
1: made this a straight drama and like not left anything out to, to chance. Right. I mean, but as far as dark comedy goes, there are a couple, there are a couple great moments on hmm. the dark comedic side. Um, I'll just say the line congratulations on your birthday, which pronounced in, uh, by the, uh, Uh, by the Julianne Moore character in such a way, so droll and so biting in a way like early in the film, you get right away who she is and who she, what she values and what she doesn't. Right. Um, There's a situation with the father um, (laughs) receiving, an accolade, something very important to him, but neither of his family members even remembered it was happening. And he says,
2: "You guys are so self-involved." Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: It's just you guys suck, you know. <laughs> Which, again, dark humor, right? But it's just the way that was framed with him sitting by himself at a table, like, right. yeah, it just it was. A couple of those moments worked, but again, they didn't go far enough with any of them, or have enough of those moments to make it where I could say, "Oh yeah, it was a good blend of comedy and the dramatic elements." Yeah, it definitely was heavier on the drama side where made those little quick little moments of humor seem very forced and just didn't seem very natural. You mentioned the
2: dark humor of the film. How about the darkness of the film? Oh
1: yeah. So I asked you about this before we even got into our review is like, Chris, did you find the film visually dark, meaning a little hard to see? And yeah, it turned out it was not just me. So this film is a very, it's shot very dim, very dark, And it's just, I mean, it's a little bit of a challenge to watch. I mean, I watched, you know, in a room that I still have some daylight outside. I had to intentionally shut all the windows just to be able to see the film a little bit better on the the screen.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of interior shots at the house of um, Ziggy and Evelyn, like some dinner table scenes. Yeah. It just it just seemed really, 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 really dark. And yeah. maybe they were trying to indicate how dark it is in their house or something, because there's not a
1: lot, but I mean, even on the outside but, shots, we're still like dark too. So it's like the yeah. whole film just had like a dark haze over it the whole time, it made it a little tougher to watch a little sure. tougher to, to enjoy and appreciate as such. So uh, look, I'll say this. I, I think, I think all the performances are solid. I liked everybody in the film that was doing what they were doing based on the script. Um, there's nothing about direct direction of this film that makes me think that there's anything that kind of stands out as Jesse Eisenberg, kind of something he's really good at. I, I, it was a very run-of-the-mill shot, independent slash dramedy or whatever. You know, they're, they're a dime a dozen, unfortunately. We've reviewed so many of them over the years that fit this same mold. Um, so it's just, at the end of the day, what's going to make this film work is an interesting story or at least a story that leads to something. And I don't feel like we got it here. So overall I was disappointed in the film, let down, didn't feel like it really worked for me on many levels. So,
2: yeah, I think, I think we're, we're basically on the same page. So
1: You, you threw out the word fine at one point. So I, think, I was, I was
2: challenging to see where you were, but I, yeah, I, I, uh, I was trying to be the overall optimist, but I, I think, I struggled enough with the film to be, to be fair, that I I think we're probably, probably landing about the same way. I don't, I don't know that I would like to give it three, you know, just simplification. I'd like to give it three. Don't know if I can. (laughs) No, no,
1: I'm definitely in a two star range here. I think there's, I think think there's acting, the acting is interesting enough, you know, and there are some moments that really work for me. And I do think the ending is good. Just not warranted for this film.
2: Well, something that I liked there again. There, I guess, yeah. I think I'm definitely two and a half. Um, they were the son is trying to be a musician. I can't remember the name. He uses his like, like uh, name, something Cats or something like that. Yeah, Ziggy Cats. Ziggy Cats. Yeah, yeah. Z Cats or whatever. Um, but some of his compositions I kind of liked, and it had this Daniel Johnston feel to it. Yeah. they there, there again, very fitting with the movie. Very indie rock. Yeah.
1: Daniel Johnson or, uh, is that right?
2: That's the one I'm thinking of. Who are you thinking of? No. Um, This is the guy who, um, yeah, there's been a whole documentary. Maybe that could be my recommendation, but probably not. Um, But yeah, Daniel Johnson, just the way it's like strumming a guitar and like saying all these like lyrics about relationships and stuff. Um, But anyways, I liked the music and then just the score of the movie kind of carried it in some parts that did some heavy lifting there again. I see your,
1: well, it's just the score was another one of those. Yeah. That's independent dramedy. This is what you get. It's quirky. It's a little abrasive music. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
2: I think they, I wish I would have liked them to do a little more with it. Maybe Mm -hmm. of course, like we've said, I would have liked a little
1: more of anything. I mean, (laughs) really, This is gonna sound like a horrible insult, and I'm not meaning it to be, but it's just really this is the. Way. This film to me, you know, I've see, I've watched Jesse Eisenberg as an actor. Yeah, we've seen him in a lot of roles. He does sure. have kind of a type he plays, generally speaking, except for when he's playing Lex Luthor for some reason. Um, I liked that. No, no, I did too, but it's not. <laughs> that is the most atypical Jerry show. Eisenberg role. Um, this movie to me felt like if Jesse Eisenberg turned into a movie. It would be this movie.
2: Well, okay.
1: I, I, mean, think, you, there, you, I <laughs> think
2: it may be somewhat autobiographical. I, I do. Th- so I was questioning I think that. The, the, how much when of I was, was reading about the audible okay. thing, it sounded like something that it may have also kind yeah. of been, like a story that, that he was telling about his life yeah. loosely.
1: So. I could see that because this does, it, it's very, it, it has a, a style and a tone that I do feel like is very, very pointing to who the director is. Gotcha. You know, and I, I don't know if that was distance very well. It didn't need to be. I mean, it can, you can embrace this as this is a personification of him as a director into a film. So that's great. I just, I would have liked more. I would like something more to be there. So fair enough. Okay. So that is when you finish saving the world, it is available for rental or purchase on Apple and Amazon and all those good places. You can check out stuff. Uh, All right, Chris, let's move on to our second film, which is the film pinball. The man who saved the game.
2: It may be the thing that I am best at. Why are they taking the machines? We got busted. It never even occurred to me that the game was illegal. But for over three decades, pinball was banned in New York City. I want to show the city council members that they've had it wrong for all these years. Are you a reporter? I just have a question about the pinball ban, sir.
1: Somebody keep these damn kids away from me.
2: I've played pinball since the days I'd walk to the local arcade after middle school to spend my hard-earned lawn mowing money. Later, the game would endanger my being able to do laundry in college because of the games of The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Getaway featuring a ZZ Top soundtrack, and of course, The Addams Family. I'd play. Despite being a pinball fan, I never knew that at one time the machines were banned across the United States in some places, Alan, how, how well did Pinball, the man who saved the game, work as a biopic of sorts and as entertainment for you?
1: Um, I will say very well on both accounts. Okay. I like this movie a lot. <laughs> I was I'm, very I'm surprised by this movie. Okay. I This is a movie that honestly, when you and I decided we were going to review it, I had not heard a single thing about it. I never saw the trailer. Never saw the trailer either. Never saw it. So I queued this up. Uh, I, 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 I pulled back on the, the, the plunger, nice, let it go. And I, man, I had a blast with this movie. I thought it was a fun little film. Um, you asked how it works as a biopic. Good. Pretty good. It's a subject like he's, like you said, I knew nothing about, I knew nothing about a ban on pinball machines in New York city, in Chicago, in Chicago, and like 30 years, but
2: definitely those two places. Yeah.
1: Never knew. So that to me was interesting enough. I didn't know anything about this, uh, the court case involved and in kind of trying to bring, uh, make them legal again. So all that is great. Um, how did it work as entertainment? Also worked really well. Okay. Um, there's, some, there's breaking the fourth wall going on in this film, which at first when it started, I'm like, oh no, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> okay. But they played with it and they had fun with it. There's a moment in here that I actually bust out laughing on the whole fourth wall breaking that the curse word. It is, it is the curse word. That's one of the two. Okay. Uh, We're basically a character is about to utter a curse word. And right away it cuts to, we are treated to being quote, interviewing the actual subject of the film. It's kind of a doc- mockumentary documentary style format. Right. And he even says, what, what rating are we going for with this? And they're like, Oh, you know, PG PG 13. He's like, he's like, so you get away with one. Of the f words, he's like, Okay, well, I'm gonna save it. It's <laughs> like till later. Right. I'm like, That is awesome, right? The other moment is they get he's queuing up a music cue he'd like to have played during the song during the movie, and the directors have to interrupt and say, No, 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 uh, we, we can't quite afford <laughs> that needle drop right now. Right. It's like, Okay, fine. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just, I love that they're like, Okay, I don't mind the documentary stage documentary within a movie format. But to do it and have fun with it, like, made it work for me. So I just had a good time with it. Um, even the ending, which there's an ending moment where I'm like, uh, the, kind of the big climax conclusion. And I thought, oh, man, they really went over the top with that. And then turns to find out, yeah, they know they went over the top. Even the narrator <laughs> jumps in and is like, man, that's not the way it happened. It's <laughs> like, so go Got back you. and play it again. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. That's that's what I needed for this film. Um, so look, format wise, worked great for me. I loved it. I, I thought it was very ex- entertaining. Um, I'll go ahead and say too, Mike Faced, who starred as Roger. I really liked. He was fun. He was uh, he was an engaging performance. He's playing a very kind of a, a, a dorky uh, dorky guy, like late twenties. Who's already been through quite a bit in his life, you know, married, divorced, married, divorced, and kind of out of his career now. And just, you know, I bought the relationship he formed with Ellen, girl, he uh, started dating. I just bought it. I, 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 and I bought his both passion for the game of pinball, but also his reluctance to get too involved with it for various reasons. And the whole, uh, the, 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 relationship he decided how to form with his, uh, potential stepson, yeah, it was just, it all worked. The relationship was great. So I really liked Mike Faced in this movie. I've been talking for a while, Chris. You know, I'm I'm high on this movie. I like it a lot. What do you think of this? <laughs>
2: so I, I'm on the same page, um, which, you know, we, I think we talked, it was either an episode ago, we were going to try to like line up things. So we bo- both weren't the same. I know, <laughs> so much for that. Yeah, so. right. Um, I think I am a little higher on you than when the first film, but I think yeah. this film, I think you and I are kind of lockstep on it. I knew very little. <laughs> You and I were trying to come up with a second film to review to pair mm. with, uh, the film by Jesse Eisenberg. And I was like, well, let's do another independent film. I saw this and I was like, well, I know nothing. I didn't even watch the trailer. But I was like, no, I didn't know, either. Mike Feist faced. I don't know. How I'm, he, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I,
1: I feel like I'm butchering it each time I say it,
2: but I saw he was in it and I was like, you know what? He made such an impression with West side story. He when played, he uh,
1: I forget which character in West side story, but he was basically the second command right. of the jets. Correct. Right? Yeah.
2: And so he kind of the villain, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, So, and he did a really good job and got a lot of acclaim for that role. So when I saw he was in this. Didn't get a nomination, which I was ticked off about. Which uh, you weren't, a lot of people were. Um, But when I saw he was in this, I was like, okay, this is kind of another project, but it's a small film. Let's, let's see what he has to offer. And I thought he was great.
1: Yeah, he was fun. He was a, well, he was, he was a human. I mean, he's playing a little bit of a caricature. I mean, just because it's very different than how he is himself. (laughs) Right. But I bought it. I never felt like it was forced. I never felt like it was over the top. I mean, he was just generally playing a good character. And I, 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 I connected
2: with it. And so he was playing the, the young version of Roger Sharp. Who's the guy who, you know, did this whole turning pinball around for New York City. But what I liked equally, and I thought was actually equally as important, mm-hmm. is the guy who plays mm-hmm. the kind of older, much older version who's, yeah. in theory, being interviewed for this documentary that's, like you say, mm-hmm. it's kind of a mockumentary. But uh, Dennis Bootsikaris, yeah. I think is how mm-hmm. you say his name. And I recognized him. I was like, where have I seen this guy before? And I like, I reckon I thought he did a really good job. And it was only afterwards I realized he's been on the show Better Call Saul the kind of oh, spin off so from Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. It's good. And he's really good in it. But that's where I've seen him. And I was like, okay. Because he was so good that I was like, I know this. I know I've seen him. But what have I seen him in? Yeah. But I thought he, I thought he was really good. See, I had to. I
1: remember when we reviewed um, Stupid and Feudal Gesture. Yes. And very similar in style yeah, in that it's, yeah, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of that documentary, but not, it's not a real documentary. It's kind of staged a little like a documentary, the main character flashing back to his childhood or, or youth, same kind of concept here. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is that they are very intently saying we're going to break that fourth wall and actually interact during the film right. and kind of, you know, interject and re-acknowledging that we're making a film as we go along. Um but similar style to it. And also to where in that first few minutes, I'm thinking to myself, is this really the guy? Hmm. Like the, really they're interviewing the real guy or not. And, <laughs> so that's an advantage you know, where you hadn't seen. I hadn't seen him as Lass an, an Lass actor. Lassie, you're
2: like, is this the real dude? Yeah. Right there
1: right. for a little bit. I had to wonder. And then it's like, nah, he's, he's too good an actor. This is, this is an act. This is an acted performance. So I, I felt like it was probably a, a good actor at that point. So let me throw
2: this to you. Then yeah. you mentioned in the setup at the top of the episode that this was a writing directing pair of mm-hmm. I'm assuming husband and wife. If not, they must be brother or sister. But I think it's husband and wife. Yeah. Uh, Austin Bragg and Meredith Bragg. They both wrote and directed it. I think this is their feature debut. Um, they've done some short films, so I'm not sure. Um, I'll have to there again get a get the intern to. They've directed to shorts. It. Okay, just but shorts. this is their
1: first feature. Yep. So mm-hmm.
2: you know, gotta say, unfortunately, we have two debuts in this episode. Yeah. We have. When you finish saving the world and pinball,
1: the man who saved the game,
2: I think I know where Alan prefers says the better debut is. Oh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, so Meredith Bragg is actually uh, his brother. So there's brothers. Whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, whoa. yeah, Austin and Meredith Bragg. Oh, yeah. Meredith. I'm looking at. it. it. Okay, yep. got you. I'm Sorry about it up. That. No, Meredith, Probably I've, not
2: the first time Meredith had that happen. No, no, but
1: uh, <laughs> I, I think Kay. I remember hearing somewhere it was like a, a brothers Brothers dude. like <laughs> okay, I had to check. Okay, into that.
2: like the Coen Brothers. Yeah. Got gotcha. you. Okay. So
1: yeah, interesting there to see. And yeah, no, I feel like this is a outstanding first film. Um, it doesn't do anything outrageously crazy, different, unique. Uh, than what we've seen in other films, but it does it so effortlessly that it just felt so comfortable as a film to watch. Um, well,
2: something that reminded me of, um, you know, you said you were thinking of squid and the whale when you were watching our first yeah. film, when I was watching this one, even though it's a different type of film, but I think the fact that it's obviously playing with trying to be a comedy and it was, uh, you know, last oh, several yeah. times, sure. but um, also because it was a period thing, mm-hmm. it actually reminded me of weird. The weird out. Oh yeah, story. I can see a lot I mean, of that there. Totally too. a different thing. Mm. Like that's a real and this is a real person too. But like you know that was all music and this was about pinball. But something about a lot of the period stuff I think reminded me of mm. kind, of, but in a good way. Um, I thought they did a good job with the mockumentary look, how they set that up, and then all the stuff that happened in the seventies. I thought yeah, your know, costume. Right? Now, mm-hmm. tell me your thoughts because I watched this with my wife. We both had opinions. Tell me your thoughts on Mister Feist
1: faced's mustache. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look, the mustache is ridiculous. Is it? I okay, don't know. Is if it it's, ridiculous
2: on purpose? Is it <sighs> supposed to look like the worst fake mustache in the world?
1: I kind of think maybe it, so. Okay. I kind of think maybe because yeah, after the first few minutes of watching him with that mustache, I'm like, I mean, it's very obvious that's not real. No, no, but.
2: But the and, character has, in real life, we're assuming, yeah, yeah. did have it's a mustache. A pretty th- I
1: mean, you saw the photos. There's photos in right. the closing credits. He definitely had a, he had a big stash. <laughs> and they make comments about the mustache throughout they the do. film as well. And there's even a funny moment where there's a kiss involved, and you can almost see her having to like lift up the mustache in a way to kiss him. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I, it's got a, the whole tone of the film makes me think, yeah, they're in on it. They, they, they knew this is ridiculous, but we're going to go with this.
2: Okay. So you're thinking, yeah, they kind of, that's what I ended up on thinking the same way because I thought kind of comparing it again to weird how Daniel Radcliffe, who was doing weird out had this insane wig yeah. to be weird. Al. So, and you're like, yeah, that's totally, we know, yeah, you know totally it has gotta be that. And so, yeah, but it was just the must've because at first I was like, wow, that's Mm. really bad.
1: (laughs) But again, I think, but yeah, I think it was with all the, the wall breaking going on in the film and all the kind of wink, winking at the audience. And they know, they know what kind of format they're supposed to be playing into with this biopic. And they're trying to break it at times. I think that that's gotta be a conscious decision of let's go with something that looks so obviously fake. (laughs) Because right. this guy does not have a mustache right. like that, you
2: know, so. the actor being who he is and, you know, yeah. has fan pages. Lots of people just think he's, you know, just drop dead gorgeous handsome. So it is kind of funny to not even try to have it be yeah. somewhat normal. Like, no, let's put a literal fake mustache on him and have that be the thing.
1: So. I, I think that's got to be part of the okay. joke there. I, I would agree with that. Um, can I just comment too? how much yes. I loved the imagery of the pinball machines oh, throughout yeah. this film, every close up, every little bit, and even the points where he's kind of commenting on playing pinball to somebody else, and like some of the things, I'm like, wow. And he talks about kind good. of
2: some of the design yeah. stuff going. He's oh, like, yeah. well, you got to have a way to get up to this certain score area. You need to mm-hmm. do this. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, I like granted, as I mentioned in my setup, I've loved pinball for a long I'm time. Sure. I still like to play whenever I can, and this. Yeah, this had a little bit more kind of behind the scenes Mm -hmm. about pinball itself. Yeah. Which I I think,
1: again, you take a subject matter, something we're all familiar with and we enjoy pinball. You add a true historical fact to it that we were not aware of and a real backstory behind it. They never make any bones like this is some big earth-shattering biopic where he's out changing the world. No, he's just, he likes playing pinball. He would like to see pinball reinstated. The company who makes pinball machines would like to see them reinstated. (laughs) Right. So it's like he's going to go and and, and make a case for them to allow pinball machines again. That's it. That's the film. But along the way, he falls in love. He has relationships. He's, you know, careers, all that. It's just great. It's just uh, it worked. So everything kind of worked and built to a good end. You know, some people could argue that the ending uh, with his relationship and kind of where that is a little little cutesy. It's a little... uh, I didn't mind it because I thought, you know what? You've earned it. Right. This whole movie. Yes, please have this ending. I want you to have this ending because you've earned it with the, with the rest of the film. So Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm kind of I'm with you. It's, it's one of those things where
1: the runtime
2: of this, hour and a half, perfect. hour and 31 minutes. Perfect. They don't try to build it and try to make it more this big, huge, monumental moment in history. No, it's like,
1: okay, it's a short little story. And you Can I tell you something sense. else that's interesting sure. about this film? You never once see anybody outside of um, our main character, Roger, playing pinball. Uh-huh. So it's like, it's never a situation of like, we're seeing this big global impact <laughs> on the game of pinball and how other people are affected by it. And there's other people playing it. No, you, you, he meets a guy in a bar that's playing <laughs> pinball and he decides to take uh, start playing as well. And that's it. The rest of the movie, it's like, we just see Roger playing it. He gets his girlfriend to play one time for a little bit. That's about it. But there's never a big, like, this is a big sweeping pinball, it's like uh, um, pinball mania, sweeping America type of thing. It's none of that. It's just, right. it's a very intimate little story of just Roger, his pinball machine, <laughs> how he would like to have other people play pinball as well. So
2: that's, that's it. it. Yeah. It's just, it's
1: a simple, simple story, but it worked. It, it just, it worked a
2: lot. And i And I'm really interested to see, what this brother pair does next. Um, I I can see like the first film we reviewed, it was at Sundance and I can see, yeah, it's a very indie Sundance film. Mm -hmm. I can see how, I don't know where this thing premiered. I don't know if it did a festival run. I can see how, yeah, you can't really release it to theaters because Hey, it has like a ridiculously long title. Um,
1: pinball, the man who saved No real stars. No real stars. Uh, I mean,
2: you have you know, up and coming
1: stars. Yeah, but, but he's still, not a household name. No, he's not no. going to bring box office I'm it surprised.
2: It seems strong enough to me that it didn't get like premiered on like a Hulu or yeah. an Amazon or something. But this is one that if you and I hadn't reviewed, I think we definitely would have saved for a recommendation of a film like, hey, check this out. You probably haven't heard of it.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm really impressed with Pinball. I enjoyed it immensely, had such a good time with it. Maybe even one I'd want to watch again sometime soon, just because it's just, it was just a good, fun movie. Good, uh, just in good, enjoyable film. So uh, yeah. And you know, I mean, and not to say that this ever sways my opinion, but it was nice to see a film like this. It's kind of a small budget independent film. That's a, what, PG-13 film pretty easy kind of appeal to a wide audience. I mean, I think there's, you know, I could recommend this to other people, family members and people that like, Hey, you ought to check this out. This is a good little film. Right. And, uh, I agree. It's nice to see those. So no, we're both sounds like we're both, I'm very excited. I'm very happy that we're both on the same page <laughs> with this one. Um, And also relieved to hear I wasn't completely out in left field on my take on when you finished saving the world.
2: Gotcha. I'm just glad to hear you're on the same page with uh, the mustache used in pinball.
1: Yeah. (laughs) No, it's it's it should receive an award of its own somehow. (laughs) I think there should be an award for that that mustache. All right. Well, that is Pinball, the man who saved the game, directed by, uh, I guess we call them the Bragg brothers or Austin and Meredith Bragg. Yeah. Also written by them, starring Mike Faced. Uh, we're both giving it a good accolade here. This is a fun movie. Great, great, enjoyable, uh, well-made film. All right, Chris, let's take a quick little break after we've finished our two main reviews here. We come back, we're going to do a little Oscars recap and just kind of give our assessment of how the Academy Awards went this year. And then Chris and I both have a uh, recommendation to give as well of films to consider for your own viewing pleasure. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films here in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you here. We just finished our reviews of When You Finish Saving the World and Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. Down on one film, really high on the other. So at least we got a little balance going on there. But Chris and I were on the same page. Looks like pretty much on both films. Um, But let's talk about um, some recent news, Chris. We're kind of done with our review of films for a little while. Let's talk about some things that happened, most notably the Academy Awards just in the last few weeks. We did have the Academy Awards celebration. Uh, Was that mid-March?
2: Uh, I don't remember the date. March twelfth, yeah. maybe something like March. that.
1: Yeah, March. 12th. Yeah, March twelfth. Yeah, here it. we are, a couple weeks out from it, but uh, we haven't had a chance you and I to sit down and actually talk since this uh, ceremony happened. And we always like to do a little dissection. How did it go? What are our thoughts on it in general? Um, I know that with as many wins as everything everywhere all at once got this year at the Academy Awards, and we'll kind of hit those those highlights in a moment. I know it's a film that you were, I got rooting for. I mean, you like, you wanted to see you do really well. Sure. I was rooting for it. It wasn't really my choices for like every category, but I was happy to see a film like this win as many as it did. Because it did win a large share of of the awards. I think basically we're looking at uh, best director. It went to the Daniels, which I thought that was great. I thought they had a great speech to go along with it. It was a lot of fun. Best Supporting Actress going to Jamie Lee Curtis, Best Supporting Actor going to Keyon Kwan, Best Actress going to Michelle Yeoh, and then of course Best Picture going to the film as well. Now best beyond that, it won original screenplay. Yeah, uh, original screenplay it won, uh, Best Film Editing it won, and yeah, that appears to be it. So quite a few. It was the big winner for oh, sure yeah. that night of not only just the big award, but but all the, the a lot of other big awards around it as well. Sure. So overall, you're happy on that end, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I was. Um, I, 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 I am happy. And especially what makes it even better, like, I guess the speeches, you know, you kind of want them to and then when the speeches are really awesome, or you feel like they're really excited about it, or, yeah. or it means something to them, yeah. then you're like, okay, yes, yeah, it's you know.
1: it, it solidified that it's a little bit of the way I felt when parasite won. Right. I just felt like, you know, that was a that worked. I think everybody was kind of on board with how important that award was and how meaningful it was to them here. I felt the same way with this one for sure.
2: And I think it was, it's, there's a lot of, because of the names you mentioned and the people involved, you know, there's some diversity there, which is always nice. And I think this more than coming off the heels of parasite and then nomad land and CODA. And now we have everything everywhere all at once. I think it's really interesting time for the Academy where it used to be like, if you'd asked somebody 10 years ago, Steven Spielberg's going to make a movie. That's a biog- basically kind of a biography about himself and it's going to be up for best picture. They're like, and that's the winner mm-hmm. and that's the winner for best director. And like, you would have just assumed all that because it's like, it's Steven Spielberg. And a lot of times in Oscar contests and stuff, a lot of times things like that, people skew that way. And I think it's really interesting that it seems like, no, there's a sh- whether it's younger voters in the Academy or whether the Academy has just decided to try to uh, start broadening its view, I think it's uh, pretty interesting.
1: Well, I, I agree completely. And I also think it's interesting that, A, I mean, Fableman's won nothing. Yeah. Like big goose egg. Actually, when you look at big budget films mm. and how they fared in general, the only ones we've got uh, that you know were huge, huge hits, Avatar won for best visual effects. Black Panther got best costume design and Top Gun Maverick got best sound. So the big That's blockbusters
2: it. got one Oscar, like got one big, Oscar each.
1: Yeah. Everything else was done by, I mean, I consider quote smaller films, even all quite on the Western front, which, you know, is a big production project. I mean, it went straight to Netflix. It was not a you know, huge hit like financial hit for anybody. Right. But it won, gosh, you know, whatever awards, everything, everywhere, all at once didn't win. I think all quite on the Western <laughs> Front got best original True. score, best international feature, best cinematography, yeah. best production design. So, Which was a recommendation
2: on this show mm-hmm. yeah, from both of us, I think. It yeah, two, yeah, we
1: both really liked the film a lot. Yeah. So really, outside of those two films, and then you get two awards for The Whale. They got best makeup and hairstyling and then best actor for Brendan Fraser. That's pretty much it. Women talking got best adapted screenplay. But otherwise, that's pretty much all your your awards covered by mainly those, those two to three films. I was excited to see.
2: Um, I feel like there are a couple of, a lot of the categories are stacked. I feel like best actor, you mentioned Brandon Fraser, Ron. Um, I really liked Colin Farrell, Banshee's of Inner I was okay on, but I really liked Colin Farrell in that film. And Austin Butler, I mean, he's really strong in Elvis. So like, you know, I can just continue go like really strong category, but I got to say it's the whole heartstring pull of Brendan Fraser winning. I'm just like, you know, it's probably the best
1: (laughs) winner we could have had for it as far as ceremony goes and all that. Yes. I, I was pulling for Austin Butler. I still think he had, he had, I I think his, his role as Elvis was, uh, it's not overlooked. I mean, he won a nomination for it, but I do feel like it was kind of a feat and yes, I agree. Brandon Fraser as in the whale, it was a good acting performance for sure. But I also wonder how much of it was makeup, how much of it was sure the setting and the environment he was put in as far as letting him play in that role and just, you know, with the sympathy it automatically garners right. for him. Right. So anyway, um, it's a little bit of a mix of it. You have a character that you're meant to feel pity for and sympathize for, but also you feel like you look at somewhat negatively and you have some very negative opinions on. And then you, you add Brendan Fraser as an actor, someone who's been out of Hollywood for so long and was kind of at the peak I mean he was kind of a I don't want people to say people joked about him as an actor, but you know nobody ever really took him seriously as a actor. you know it's like he was always, oh yeah, he's the guy in George of the Jungle, he's in the mummy movies, he's kind of you know a little bit of a hammy actor, and then he's like then he's gone mm-hmm. So to bring him back and to put him in that kind of role. Yes, it was kind of making it it was almost like it was gearing for this award. And I never like it when I feel like roles are intentionally kind of designed for that. But then again, I guess playing Elvis in a big biopic is obviously a, <laughs> right. a big Oscar bait as well. So, sure. Um, I was fine with Brendan Fraser winning. He was not my choice, but for the pageantry of the ceremony, it worked really good. Um, I was honestly, I'll tell you, so not really easy. I wasn't surprised by best picture. I wasn't surprised by best actress. Wasn't surprised by best supporting actor. Still very surprised by Jamie Lee Curtis, best supporting actress. That was the one that as felt was Angela Bassett. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying I was pulling for Angela Bassett thinking she had a better chance of winning, but I, I just didn't feel like Jamie Lee Curtis is. Yes. It was a very physical role and all that, but I, I, I didn't really see the. I didn't see as much acting as I felt like we're going on the other supporting role mm, nomination. I
2: see. I think, I feel like, Yeah, that, that was a close race. I had picked Bassett, but then changed it to Jamie Lee Curtis because I felt like the snowball effect of like what I had heard the buzz. Now I felt like everything, everywhere all at once kind of had the momentum and I felt like that was going to be what, what pushed Jamie Lee Curtis. So, but yeah, I mean, I think you can say, yeah, yeah, obviously Angela Bassett was really strong in Wakanda forever. So,
1: yeah. But overall, I don't think there were really like any shocks. Do you feel like anything or you're just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that one. I mean, I felt like everything was kind of either it, either it was the expected winner or it was like the second choice possible expected winner. Or it was like a big budget film that we just kind of knew. Yeah. Okay. Top Gun winning sound. That makes sense. Okay. Right. Uh, you know. Black Panther, Wakanda kind of forever winning Best Costume Design. Yeah, sure, well, makes sense. I,
2: I, no, I agree, and I don't. I don't think ceremonies have to have. I mean, because then it's rigged. If they just throw a bunch of like curveballs in there just to make you like, no, no. watch it or whatever, well, it would be authentic. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was authentic, and I guess the biggest surprise for me was that that kind of what I mentioned—the mindset that I assumed Academy was still in. I'm like, mm. yeah, maybe they'll get they'll give Michelle Yeoh or though she deserves, and they'll give her the Academy Award for Best Actress. Kihei Kwan for his success story about, you know, kind of returning dead. Yeah, sure. Maybe writing, but director and picture. I just don't know that. Like, I just don't. So that was kind of a surprise to me that like, no, they actually, Mm -hmm. they actually are going to win it. So that, and I guess a lot of people were like, well, of course they are. They've won all these other awards. Of course they're going to win. But for me, it was still kind of like what you mentioned. It was the parasite moment with that one. Mm -hmm. I like jumped up and was like, yes. Like I was just Yeah, because I mean, we
1: we weren't used to these films. Winning for a good while in the Academy Award history there.
2: So, and um, I, I will say one thing that um, I was glad they were nominated, and I didn't think enough people had seen it that it would win. But I guess th- if there's a category where something's going to sneak in that not a lot of people have heard of or not a lot of people have seen, it would be um, in the writing categories, because that's an especially adapted screenplay – women talking yeah. winning for, I was, mm. I was really happy about that and kind of not kind of surprised just because I didn't think enough people had seen it. Whereas at that point, all quiet on the Western front had walked away with so much. I was just like, well, it's probably going to win for that. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's true. But it didn't. So
1: um, I only want to mention this just because we actually did some screenings of the narrative and or live action and documentary short films. Right. For this mm-hmm. year's Academy Award. For our so our film society. Our yeah. film society held screenings of those here in, in Western North Carolina. And so we, we all got a chance to see these films kind of in a theater, theater environment beforehand, which was nice. It was. So I think we were all happy. An Irish goodbye won for best live action short film because that was a, kind of a favorite of the audience that we watched it with and mm-hmm. rightfully so. And then The Elephant whispers winning for best documentary, not the one I would have chosen but I get why it won because it did. Um, it looked, it was a really well shot film. It looked right. great. Subject matter being elephant, people caring for these elephants uh, was always going to get people, get fans. So, um, but I thought that, I thought the documentary shorts were a really strong set of documentary short films. So, I, I do think there were probably three of those five that I could have seen any of those three winning and felt like there would have been, a, it was a, it was a good choice. So,
2: and kind of a, closing thought for me on it is I will say this year was a huge year for a24 yes. they did everything everywhere all at once so all the awards they kind of had you know part in there and then they also did the whale which Brendan Fraser won so you think about how much they locked up then mm. basically a24, and Netflix, because Netflix did All Quiet on the Western Front, and they also did The Elephant Whispers, which they one did. The best Elf- they
1: did uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio, which won Best Animated we Film. We have not
2: yet. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. they between Netflix mm-hmm. and A24, they, pretty, they covered it all. Which is interesting for me. Um, Everything
1: except for uh, the three I talked about, Avatar, yeah. Black Panther, and Top Gun, the three kind of, not, I don't want to say smaller awards. They're important awards, but not three of the big awards you think of. That's kind of like the headline awards.
2: Which it was interesting for me that um, Alan and I had mentioned before, obviously we're movie critics because we're talking about movies here, but uh, we receive screeners and we receive materials from movie companies to try to promote their films around award season. we got tons of stuff for Pinocchio. Um, so I was very aware and, you know, I'm happy it won. Um, I did like it. I was pulling for Marcel the show, but, but um, mm. that would have been a surprise for me if that would have actually been yeah. able to win. Um, but curious to see something besides a Disney film or a Pixar film take animated film mm-hmm. um, because Pinocchio was not it's a Netflix joint um, so interesting um but, but uh, um where was I going with that I was going with that so remember I, yeah like I, I can't remember but yeah. I just think it just saying oh yeah now I know what I was saying mm-hmm. okay all quite on the Western Front won so much and Netflix, didn't didn't, didn't do any like marketing. for yeah, it, true. Yeah. I, And which is weird because they, like I mentioned, same company did all this marketing for Pinocchio and didn't really do any. I don't know whether they didn't do it. Cause I felt like they didn't have to, which maybe that's it. Or I don't know, but I just found it really surprising that it was nominated for all those categories and they hadn't really done as heavy marketing, at least that I was aware of. So I thought that was interesting, okay. but still take away a 24 and Netflix are huge. Winners at this Academy Awards. So,
1: yeah, no, it's, it's all true. That's good. I, I thought overall I was satisfied with the awards. I was satisfied with the winners. I was satisfied with the ceremony. I thought everything was It's a pretty good night. Yeah. So it worked out pretty well. Everything good. Still went to 1130. One I, day, one day, somebody's going to come in there and break that formula and get it down to like a good 90 to two hour, 90 but, minute to two hour show. You know, I
2: just don't think. I, I don't think it'll ever happen. And I'm kind of okay with it because I think you're going to cut something that's going to make, if you cut anything out of there, you're going to, you're going to make people mad. If you cut the immemorium, you're going to make people mad. If you cut the musical numbers, which they have done in the past, you're going to make people mad because they feel like it's not showing the respect. So all in all, like you said, I feel like it's a good ceremony. There is a little bit of kind of like, Crowd work banter that they do out there when they're mm-hmm. stretching, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they could find some way to just eliminate the stretching time that they do the yeah. crowd work, yeah, that'd be nice because that would save time. But you know, I think as it is, I just expect it to run long.
1: So, so be it. All right. Well, that is the Academy Awards. Sounds like we were both uh, you know, pretty pleased with how it all turned out, and our predictions were uh, mostly spot on. Chris, you um, you won the pool. Well, Chris did. and I have our own private two person pool we, i mean we we opened it up to the rest of the foot candle film society members but in all at the end of the day the competition is just with the two of us yes there's a winner and there's a loser you won
2: i believe you got out of the s- 23 17 17 i think it's 17 right.
1: and i think i was at 15 so okay. like two behind you and uh 15 out of 23 is still pretty good for me uh, i'm not the best uh predictor on these academy awards But he still won, and we agreed before the show that uh, whoever won, we get to select a film that the other has to watch. Right, and the other person has to watch that film and come and prepare to review it. Yeah, it didn't have to be a huge review, but
2: does have to at least.
1: Oh, if I had won, it was going to (laughs) be I was going to give you a whole forty-five minutes. I need you to dissect every element of the film I chose for you. (laughs) Fair. But uh you said there's no time limit, so good. No. I'll give you a nice little three, four minute little I synopsis think that of will it. Probably be funny. But um so Chris, you do get to select the film. I have to watch it, I have to come back with uh my thoughts on the film. Yes. Have you chosen a film for me?
2: Absolutely.
1: Okay. And what would that film be?
2: I would like for you to watch AD for Brady. AD 80 for Brady. A D
1: eight zero for Brady. Yes. B R A D Y.
2: You do not have to wear a New York um no, New England Patriots uniform. I was going to say, you got to get it yeah. right if you're yeah, going to introduce on, the film. Tom Brady. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, you don't have to wear a Patriots uniform while watching said film.
1: So there's no dress requirements as I watch the film. Yeah. I can Nor watch when it. When you
2: come in for the review, you don't have to okay, be wearing it. Yeah. A- All right.
1: That was going to be my next follow-up no. question. But I can wear any kind of attire I want. I just have to watch the movie. Yes. And then come back to this podcast and be prepared to talk about it. Yes. Okay. This is the one with Jane Fonda and uh, Tomlin, Lily Tomlin. Sally Field. Sally Field. Mm-hmm. which I like all of them as actresses. Yeah. So this can't be that horrible.
2: And I believe Tom Brady is in Is film. in the movie. Yes. Okay, well that
1: that may be tough. Um all right. Challenge or uh penalty accepted. <laughs> um Fair I will be watching 80 for Brady. I will plan on our next recording session to come in with a full-throated review of the film.
2: And just like at uh NFL professional sporting events, Alan, They do sell popcorn, pretzels, and beer. So if you feel like you need to enjoy any of said items to enjoy the film, that is also fine.
1: (laughs) I do not. If the movie is available on home rental, Mm. is that allowed?
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I do not
1: have to go to physically to a theater to see this. Yeah, you can watch it at home. Because eighty for Brady right now, I can rent. Okay. Um. Oh boy. But it's a it's a big rental. I don't, I'm just trying to think if it's worth the rental.
2: Well, you, there's not a time frame. If we need to wait until it's like well, a, instead of buying the film, if we need to wait, so okay. you've got you got to tell the next episode. All right,
1: so. I'll I'll see what's available. I will plan on watching it. I have a um, a bar in my own home theater room. I will be using to watch <laughs> 80 for Brady. Okay, nice. All right, Chris. Well, that wraps up that news section. We'll be back when we get back next time to talk about maybe some new trailers and other films that are coming out that we want to talk about. Before we, though, wrap it up, we do have one last thing to get to, and that is our recommendations. Chris and I scour our film library and watch films online and be able to give you a recommendation of something we think is worth checking out, or in my case, one I feel like ought to be skipped. Um, but oh, Chris, yeah,
2: actually, why don't you go first? Cause we you know, like ending on a positive note. A positive
1: note. Yeah. Mine is not unfortunately a positive <laughs> note. So I will go ahead and get mine out of the way. Sure. I don't normally like to do negative recommendations. I think that's hurtful to the film industry. I don't normally like to tell people to stay away from a film. Uh, however, and this is more of a cautionary tale I'm giving. Um, Kevin Smith is a writer director that, we have seen and I, I, I honestly kind of felt like I followed for a good while because when he started making films back in the early 90s, it was kind of this big revolution of like he's an independent filmmaker. He maxed out his credit cards just to get enough money to make a film. He made the movie Clerks. And although Clerks is not a great movie, it's just more what it stood for. I think right. is what really made it work and why it became a little bit of a cultural touchstone for a lot of people. Absolutely. Between that and Pulp Fiction. I think those are two moments where it's like, people are like, Oh, I can make films and I can make films that are different and unique yeah. and all that. Absolutely. Which is great. Uh, he did clerks too, but mm-hmm. he did like several other films in his little shared universe of characters. He eventually made clerks too, which I liked. You did like, I thought was fine. Um, You know, I I didn't love it, but I did think it had some interesting, some fun moments. And I thought it was a very well-made film. I thought, you know, the budget had obviously gone up. He had more money to put into it. Mm -hmm. Um, Then he made some other films that progressively got more and more skewered by critics. Like it just seemed to go downhill. Yoga, uh, um, yoga hosiers,
2: which I never saw. Never saw that I either. Did see Tusk,
1: Tusk, yeah, which was one. He did another. He did another Jay and Silent Bob like a reboot film, oh. which I never saw. Uh, I saw
2: Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, but which you're I like. talking Yeah, which yeah. I like, but, but you're he talking about reboot, that. right?
1: Before this one, that I'm going to talk talking I did about. Not see. I did not see it either. I did not hear good things. <laughs> um, now, Clerks Three have come out. Right, Clerks Three has come out. Yes, Clerks Three is a film that's singular. Clerks three. Okay. Got it. <laughs> and the whole premise of clerks three, once again, written, directed by Kevin Smith is that Randall and Dante, who are the two guys who run the, the quickie Mart. Um, they decide to make a movie about their experiences at the quickie Mart kind of moralize himself. Cause one of them has a health scare that kind of puts them in a position of, oh my life's passing by too quick. I want to, immortalize this, this time we've had together. So they make a movie. So it's a little, it's a definitely a, and uh, there's definitely a format to this film of a film within a film. They are making a film where they're recalling and reshooting scenes from the original clerks film. Gotcha. So it has a little bit of a meta thing going on where they're making the original clerks film, making jokes about choices that were made when making the first clerks film and why they're now making those choices. Now, so some moments are supposed to be humorous and supposed to be funny. Um, I'm here to say, unfortunately, I, I, I think I think the shtick has gone on too long. Gotcha. I, I don't think this works. I think the concept of the film is interesting, but acting is is rough, very very rough. Filmmaking not, in general, I thought not was.
2: intentionally so. No, okay.
1: Um, filmmaking is, uh, is pretty rough as well. It's, it's tough for me to see because I don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of talent on the screen that's evolved very much at all from the original clerks film, which is like, you know what, Kevin Smith, you've made so many films. I know you've learned things along the way. I know you've craft, uh, fine tuned your craft, but I'm not seeing any of it anymore in your work. And, uh, so ultimately disappointed. There's an ending to this that, God, did, did the ending work? I don't, I don't know. It's an ending that (laughs) goes for drama. Oh, um, pretty heavy. Oh, kind of sort of worked, but man, I don't know. I always have a hard time. I have a hard time recommending this film, unfortunately. And and it pains me to say that because I really, I like pulling for Kevin Smith. I want his films to work. I want to enjoy his films. I've kind of felt the same way about him that I have felt about him like Shyamalan at times where it's like. Man, come on, man. You got it. I know you can make this work. Please make this a good film. And he comes close at times. And I think Kevin Smith has come close at times. But I don't know. I just never feel like he's ever going to live up to Clerks, possibly Mallrats. I do think Mallrats and Chasing Amy might be the uh, two. I really liked Dogma. Okay. Dogma was this good, but I, I think he hit his peak at Chasing Amy. I okay. think Chasing Amy was probably his most solid movie okay. that just worked top to bottom in general. But, um, Dogma was right after Chasing Amy, I think. So yeah, that period of his of his career, I think, worked. Unfortunately, it's just been diminishing returns after that. And this film, unfortunately, carried on the same idea. So as I said, I'm sorry to say it, but yes, I do feel like it is a, a letdown. Clerks 3 did not work for me. So I hate giving the negative recommendation for once in the last several months, but uh, so be it. It's what I had to give you today. Sure. So, but Chris, come on, let's end on a positive. What was a good film that you saw that you want to recommend to people?
2: So I'd like to recommend the outfit by Graham Moore. And due to my research, I think he is a first time filmmaker as well, or at least this is his first feature. Um, It stars Mark Rylance as Leonard, an English tailor who has, Moved to the United States after an unfortunate personal tragedy. He's now in Chicago and he runs a tailor shop in a rough part of town where he makes these really beautifully tailored clothes, unfortunately for the only people around who can afford them, which is a family of gangsters. And basically some events happen that puts him in trouble. Um, It is streaming on Amazon Prime, so it's really easy for you to catch up Mm with. Um, And I had heard very little about this um, but I had heard like a, a foot candle member actually mentioned that they had seen, it actually came to our theater here for like a week came and went, but they said, Oh, the outfit's really good. I was like, okay. I saw it pop up on Amazon prime. I like Mark Rylance. We talked about his performance and uh, bones and all how he, he was really good in that mm. film from a uh, 2022. This is a 2022 film. Um, but uh, it was one that kind of flew under the radar. So um, I thought it was, thought it was really good. So it's a period piece kind of taking place in like, I guess a real big mob area or mob era in Chicago. But um, I recommend it. It's called the outfit mm-hmm. and uh, it's on uh, Amazon prime.
1: The outfit on Amazon prime. I did not mention but clerks three. Uh, you can rent it. Any of the places, Amazon, iTunes, so forth. But
2: he may discourage you not to. <laughs> so
1: Yeah. I, I just, if it's streaming for free somewhere and you're just a Kevin Smith completist, Fine, but I I don't recommend spending hard-earned money to watch this, Uh, where the outfit does sound like not only is it something you may even want to spend money for if you had to, but you can actually watch it on Amazon Prime if you have a membership for free now anyway. Okay. So that wraps it up for today. So our recommendations capped off the episode. We did our Academy Award recap and analysis of those awards. And of course, we kicked off the show with our, our reviews, a slightly negative, uh, lesser, lesser than less than fine review <laughs> of When You Finish Saving the World by writer, director, GSA Eisenberg, and a very positive review, surprisingly positive review of Pinball, the man who saved the game, both of them available for rent or viewing online through your, your uh, distribution channel of, of choice. All right, Chris, if anybody wants to chime in the conversation here, talk to us, give us some feedback, tell us some thoughts. Maybe try to be a champion for Clerks 3. Tell me what I missed on that film that I should have appreciated more. How can they get a hold of us?
2: You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at FootCandleFilm. Al and I are also on Letterboxd, where we try to track what we're seeing and leaving leave short reviews. Um, I will mention also that if you – Use iTunes or another subscription service to kind of keep track of our podcast. Do us a favor, leave a review because reviews help us gain new listeners. So that's always very helpful. Um, And last but not least, 2023 Foot Candle Film Festival is running September 18th through the 24th. So uh, if you're in the North Carolina area, come check it out. It'll be in Hickory, North Carolina.
1: Yep. We're going to have a great time with this festival. A lot of fun stuff planned. We'll be sharing with you in the future episodes as we get closer to the date. But we do encourage you, like Chris said, if you are going to have an opportunity to come and spend time with us in Western North Carolina in late September, we would love to see you here at the Foot Candle Film Festival. But otherwise, if you're not able to come to our festival, we hope you will at least come back next time we get together and record an episode of Foot Candle Films. So for Alan Jackson, for Chris Fry, we're bidding you adieu and uh, we will see you next time.
2: See you in the ticket line.